God, we pray that this morning, God, that it would not be my words that I've written down, but God, it would be your words that would speak to us. God, we pray that you prepare our hearts to receive exactly what you want to say. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. This is going to be a little bit different. Um, I don't have one point at all. Um, I'm not going to go through this, and uh, I don't have four points. I don't have five points. I don't even have one point. Um, Well, I do have one point, and that's pretty much what the entire sermon is built off of. But I want to start with uh, an article that I actually read, and I kind of want to set this up and paint a picture for what I want to get across this morning. Um, I was reading through and researching some stuff for uh, this morning, and I came across just this incredible story, and it went something like this. There was a dad and a son, and his son was 17 years old, and he was just living his life in absolute rebellion. Um, And the dad went up to him and said, son, listen, if you continue to live your life like this, then you can no longer stay in my house. And so the son, you know, when you're young, you're 17, all that pride and all that kind of welling up in you, you think, hey, you know what? I don't need mom and dad, right? I got this. I can do this on my own. I'm going to go. And so that's what he did. He went out the house and he said he went from there to kind of sleeping on friends' houses, trying to get jobs and would get these dead-end jobs. And he finally ran into kind of like this train wreck of a situation. His friend said, hey, you got to get out of my house. And his job fired him for being lazy and not showing up. So what did he do? Kind of like he always did, he called up his dad. And he only called his dad when he needed him. He said, hey, listen, dad, um, I am kind of in a situation here. I have no money um, and I have nowhere to stay. So the dad says, hey, why don't you come over to my house? We're going to sit down. Let's talk, see what's going on. So he comes over to the house, he sits down, and um, the dad says, all right, tell me what's going on, tell me what happened with the job, and the son obviously creates this lie, and he said, listen, I was at work, and they were kind of overstaffed, you know, they had to let me go, it wasn't really anything that I did, they just kind of told me that, you know, they had too many people, and I hadn't really been there that long, so they just kind of let me go. And so the dad, in, in much grace and much compassion, took out his checkbook, and he wrote him a check. But he did something a little different. He signed the check, and he left it blank. And he said, here's a check. Write it out forever, however much you need to you think that you can get you by for the next few months or weeks or whatever. And so the son, obviously, I mean, if I was 17 years old and my parent had given me a blank check, I would have gone crazy. And so that's exactly what he did. He wrote out the check for a whole lot more than he really needed. And he came to the conclusion that, hey, you know what? I can just bum off my parents. So every now and then when that money ran out, he would sneak into his parents' house, steal a check out of their checkbook, and he got really good at forging his dad's signature, and he would write it out for however much he needed. And he ended up going six months without even having a job because he would just bum off of his parents. Now, I know you hear this story, and you're saying, why in the world would that dad not cancel those checks? Right? And so... Make a long story short, this kid goes on, he kind of pursues this track of rebellion, and God in his mercy and grace just decides one day, hey, you know what, this kid's going to follow me, he's going to serve me, and he transforms his heart. And this guy right now, it's a true story, he's actually preaching and teaching all over the world right now. Um, He's a very, very well-known speaker, and uh, he went a few years back and asked his dad, he said, dad, why was it that you didn't cancel the checks? Like, I've always wondered why you never said, his dad never confronted him at all. 
Um, his dad never canceled the checks, and, and he looked at his, his dad, told him, he said, I heard a quote a long time ago, and I'm going to tell, tell you the same thing. And it said this. It said, children will run from law, and they'll run from grace. The ones who run from the law will rarely come back, but the ones who run from grace will always come back. Grace draws its own back home, and he ran for gra- from, from, from grace, and it drew him back home. And so the picture that I want to paint this morning, because I'm going to be specifically um, talking to fathers, but I want you to understand this. There's going to be a lot that's going to apply to children, and there's going to be a lot that's going to apply to mothers as well. But fathers, I want you to understand that you bear primary responsibility for your family. And the decisions that you choose to make are going to alter a lot of things with the way that your children and your wife respond. Now, if that father would have responded out of, and I'm not saying, uh, most of us have responded out of this, and I have as well. When somebody wrongs you, what do you do? You respond out of just frustration. I mean, if, if somebody was pulling money out of my checking account, I would feel very violated, right? And I would want to go confront that person. But for whatever reason, that father felt that at that time, I'm going to extend grace, and hopefully God in his mercy will work in that son, and he's going to come back. And that's exactly what happened. And so I want to paint this picture this morning because I'm going I'm to point out some things and I want to speak very plain to you in some ways. But I want you to remember that we're coming back to this. Everything that I say, no matter how much you've messed up, no matter how many ways that you've failed or how many ways you feel that you may have fallen short, that God is a graceful and loving father and his ultimate goal is to draw you back to himself. So, I want to start off by saying this. The most important person in your life, in all of our lives, and the most important person that has the most influence on us is our father. Is our father. My father, your father, their words carry the most weight, right? What was your dad like? Did he have a good dad? Do you have a bad dad? When I say the word father, when I say the word dad, does it invoke memories that make you happy and joyful or does it invoke pain? Did he leave you? Did he abandon you? Was he not there? When I say the word father, what begins to kind of well up in your soul? What do you think about? Men, this sermon is primarily for you. And yet again, I want to express this. This tone that I have And what I'm talking about, I'm not trying to hammer you, although it may seem like it. I want you to understand, because every man, if you've walked into any recent action film, like I I have the opportunity to sit down sometimes and watch an action film, and you walk out of there, and what do you want to do? You want to drive your car faster. You want somebody to assault you at the gas station so you can just beat the mess out of them, right? Because you're coming out of this movie. You're in this intensity. It's just this thing going on. And that's what I want you to feel When you leave this morning, I want you to feel that God has put this great mantle upon you. And that word father is not to be taken lightly. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Ephesians 6. And we're going to be in uh, verses 1 through 4. And that's where we're going to stay the rest of the message. Women, I want you to ask yourself this question. What kind of man will raise your children? What kind of man will raise your children? Men, what kind of father will you be? How will your children speak of you or perceive you? 
How will you lead them? How will they follow you? What will they say when they're not in your home anymore? What will they say when you're dead and gone? If they were to stand upon this stage and begin to give an account for your life, what would they say? I'm so privileged that I can, the reason that I stand up here today is because of my dad. I told him this morning on the phone, I said, I get to preach this morning because I get to stand upon your shoulders. There's nothing that I've built for myself at all. I'm walking in a heritage and a history and a legacy of a man that's lovingly served Jesus. And I get to be a byproduct of that. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? So men, I ask you the same question. When your sons and your daughters grow up, what will they say of you? You're writing history right now. Right now, you're writing history, good or bad. You know this, the majority of children that are born to women under 30 go to bed without a biological father. Without a biological father. That's more than 30% of kids that do not have a steady home, that do not have a man in their life to be that authority figure. We've handed our responsibilities to government, schools, prisons, and churches, right? Hey, I don't really know how to really sit down and communicate with my child, so I'm just going to kind of shuck that responsibility off to maybe someone that can communicate it better than me. I can say this, even in the times when I was younger and my dad maybe, and I know he didn't necessarily have the words to say at that moment, just the fact that he was willing to come and confront me or encourage me with something, it meant a lot. Fathers, even though you may think that you don't know what to say or you don't have the right words to say, just your little bit means a lot. Many of the problems that we face today can be laid at the feet of men in the failure to obey Ephesians 5, which says to be good and loving husbands who lead their family. You know, we live in this culture today where women are the primary leaders of the family, right? What does dad get to do? He gets to go to work. He wakes up really early. And he thinks that his sole responsibility is to be the breadwinner for that family. And when he comes home, he says, you know what? I've done my part. I've made the money. Where's my lazy boy? Or maybe you come home and and you go to the wood shop. And when your kids want to spend time with you, you're too busy. As men, we carry primary responsibility for our family. So we're going to get ready to read this in Ephesians uh, 6, verse 1. And let me just break it down for you a little bit. If you notice, Paul's first word is to children, okay? The second one is to parents. And the last one, which we're going to spend most of the time on today, is to fathers. So what does he say to children? He says, children, obey. Now, if there's any children in here, maybe you don't like to hear that, but there is a word called obey. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. So what does that mean? For children to obey their parents rightfully, their parents have to know Jesus. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Meaning that parents are to teach on behalf of the Lord, and children 
are to obey on the behalf of their parents. Because if parents are teaching what the Lord wants them to, then children most likely will willingly obey. What's the next part? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is, what does it say? Right. In our society today, there is a right and a wrong. The way that our culture is moving is really everybody's right, and there are no wrongs, right? So I know that's shocking, (laughs) but there is a right. What does verse 2 say? Honor your father and mother. Pause there. This is the first thing that gives a promise. What does it say? Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. He's saying, listen, I'm not telling you just to obey so you can just follow the rules. I'm saying if you do, you're going to live a long life. Why? I want my children to obey, not just because I want to set that authority figure of, hey, I'm dad, obey me. I want it to go well with my kids whenever they leave my house. I want it to go well with them. So we've looked at children. We've looked at parents. Now the majority in the rest of my sermon is built off of fathers. So what does verse 4 say? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do you know that children are a blessing? They're an expensive, complicated blessing. (laughs) But they are a blessing. Here's what I want you to also understand. They're a blessing, but they're also sinners. Just because your child grows up in a home and you love Jesus passionately, it does not mean that they will. That's why this verse is so important. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but what? Bring them up in discipline and instruction. It's our job as fathers to teach our children. Does it say mothers? Why? Because fathers, we bear that primary responsibility to point our children's hearts to Jesus. Every once in a while, somebody will say, you know what? What it would be like just to be innocent like a little child. And the only people that say that are the ones that don't have children. Let me ask you this. When your children were born and they begin to grow up, and I have children four and under, I never in my life sat down with Eli and said, hey, listen, whenever Isaac hits you, I want you to chunk him on the floor, bite his nose off, and punch him in the stomach. I never had to do that, right? It just came out of him. I never had to teach my son to disrespect me or my wife. If anybody has had the opportunity to meet my son Eli, he's very verbal and very vocal. He does not care what you think at all. I mean, he said some (laughs) pretty embarrassing things, right? Some pretty sinful things. 
And I never taught him to do that. It's that sin nature inside of him. Fathers, our, our view of parenting is absolutely shaped by our biblical convictions. Children says that, our culture says that children are altogether innocent. And essentially, we just need to create this environment where they can become whoever their heart declares them to be. Just create this safe environment where they can grow up in this loving, safe home. But then we look at the world and it's not going so well, is it? If you just allow your children to become what their fallen, sinful nature desires, you hate them. It means that you're more concerned about what you want to do and what you want to accomplish than your own child's heart. Because if you let them become whatever their heart desires, their heart desires sin and wickedness. And that's why that verse is so important. Fathers, yet again, bring them up in discipline and instruction. I know that's misspelled and that's probably bothering some of you, but... Instead, our children need a new nature. Just like you encountered Jesus at one point and you were filled with his spirit and his presence and you had a passion and desire to serve and know Jesus, your children need the same thing. I remember some of the the greatest times in my life when I had the opportunity, when I was struggling and walking through things in my own life, to be able to go and talk to my dad about those things. But if fathers, if we're not setting that environment and creating that culture, our children are going to constantly run away from us. Our goal is not to just have moral children that say, yes ma'am, no ma'am, yes sir, no sir, that, good, that get good grades and get on a good baseball team, get a good job. I don't want my children just to grow up being moral. I want my children being saved from this world. I want my children to experience salvation and that freedom that I've experienced. Children can come to know Jesus at a very, very young age. At a very young age. My my four-year-old blows, my two-year-old blows me away all the time. I mean, he can't, this is Eli, and this is almost quoting him. He said, I I was getting ready one morning. He said, Dad, did you know that the the world is broken? One day Jesus is going to come back and rescue us all. And I was like, They pick up a lot. You think that your conversations go to waste, but they don't. I want you to know this, men, that the best scenario for creating a child is a mother and father, right? Also, the best scenario for raising a child is a mother and father. Now, I know that we're Christians, and the world disagrees with us on that, right? A lot of the world disagrees with us on that. And listen, I know there's a lot of single mothers out there, and I'm not knocking you. If you are raising children and you are single, I commend you. That's a hard job. 
But the best scenario for raising a kid is a mother and a father. So the most important thing, if you're married in here and you have children, is that mom and dad need to agree. Mom and dad need to agree. That mother and father are asking and teaching the same things. How many of you have ever been in the house where you could go ask mom one thing and she would say no, but you know that you could go ask dad and dad would be like, yes, you can do that. Right? And completely go against what the mom said. Your children should know that when dad says it, that means mom must have said it too. And when mom says it, that must also mean that dad said it. That also means that if you're single and you're thinking about getting married, you need to marry somebody that you agree with theologically. Meaning what? That you both agree with how we're going to raise our kids, how we're going to set up our home, who's going to work, who's not going to work. How are we going to structure this? Do you know as, as being married, it's already hard enough just to agree, agree on the simple things of life. And if you can't agree with raising kids and how it should be done, imagine you put that in the context of marriage and its craziness already. And then you add children into that mix. So in raising children, I want you to know some of the excuses of culture. Some of the excuses are, and a lot, I find a lot of dads do this, is we say, well, you know what, my child's two. He's in the terrible twos. I don't really know what to do. He doesn't really comprehend a lot right now. So for this year, he's just evil, <laughs> right? And then for some reason at three, when he blows out the candle on his third birthday cake, he's just going to magically snap out of it and not be evil anymore. But it doesn't work because then they hit junior high and they're just weird, right? They hit junior high and you don't know what's going on. And so we kind of sit back and we, we make that excuse of, well, you know what, they're in junior high. Can't really engage them because they're really trying to figure out who they are. They don't really know their identity. So let me just wait. And then it's their teen years, so basically they're past 12. You know, and I did it in high school, so why not? They're going to do it too, Right? And it's their teen years, we just we kind of expect rebellion because teenagers are just kind of supposed to be rebellious and, and not want to honor their father and mother. Or you're in college and you say, well, everybody majors in stupid and everybody goes out and does dumb things. So I'm just going to kind of back off because they're in college, they're trying to figure out what they're doing. And what you get is a culture of grown adults who still act like children and they've never matured in the Lord because they didn't have parents who instructed them. Or if they did, they didn't honor and obey their parents. And fathers, you're so instrumental in this. You set the temperature of your home. The result is we have a whole generation of people who are physically adults but emotionally children. They tend to have their own children and have no clue how to parent those children, and it's called America. Right? Your words that you say and the things that you do in your home are so important. Fathers bear primary responsibility for their children. 
So what's the answer? What's the answer to all this brokenness? What's the answer to all this chaos? What's the answer to what culture says cannot happen? There's one word up there, and it says fathers. I don't know where you can go where you can learn about being a good father. But luckily enough, that's what we do right here. Our heart is to raise up men that love Jesus, and ultimately, if they love Jesus well, they'll love their family well. They'll love their children well. I'm so sick and tired of seeing churches full of women serving, doing everything. Moms and dads are equal in the home, but both of them bear different kinds of responsibility. Mothers and fathers have responsibility for the well-being of their children, but yet again, fathers bear primary responsibility. Here's the thing, man. I want you to feel that weight upon your shoulders. Even if you're single, if you're not a father yet, one day you will be. Feel that weight of that you bear primary responsibility for what goes on in your home. You cannot lean on your wife and expect your wife to do absolutely everything and set the temperature of your home. She was never designed to do that. And here's the sad thing is, if you're not, she'll try. She'll do it. And it's going to be chaotic because it was never designed for her to do it. Fathers, would your children consider you a blessing or a burden? Is your wife glad to have you or is she grieved to have you? I want to ask you this question. Who will your sons marry? Who will your daughters marry? Even better question, do you want your daughters to marry men like you? They probably will. (laughs) Do you want your sons to become men like you? They probably will. You feel that weight? I feel it. I'm not standing up here saying that I have it all together because I'm, as I'm going through this, I'm convicted. There's things in my home that need to change. But as men, we have to feel that weight that God has entrusted us with much. Men, there's an epidemic of a failure to be fathers in our society. We know this, and God is the answer for you and I. By the grace of God, to have God as our father, to see how he fathers us, and then we father our own children. You cannot father your children well, and you cannot lead your wife well, if your relationship with Jesus is hanging on by a thread. You can't. You cannot lead well if you do not know Jesus well. So let's go over some things real quick that provoke our children to anger. There's two categories. There's don't provoke your children to anger. And then the second one is, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction. Let's talk about not provoking them to anger first. How many of you in here have a bank account? 
You ever made a deposit and you make a withdrawal? One thing that provokes our children to anger many times is that we're making way more withdrawals than we are deposits. I have a hard time with this because naturally my personality, I'm not an encourager. My wife will attest to that. It doesn't naturally flow. I don't wake up in the morning and and think, man, I should just encourage somebody today. It doesn't happen. But I'm learning how easy this can be sometimes. It can simply be leaving a letter, sending a text message, leaving a voicemail. What provokes your children to anger is when they feel that you're taking more out than you're putting in. When they don't feel encouraged. Ultimately, when they feel like you're a critic and not a coach. That every move that they make that you're constantly criticizing, even when they do good, hey, you did that good, but you could have done it better. What does a coach do? He's always calling out the best in you, knowing that if he is, that you're going to really work on the things that you need to work on. Your children don't want to think of you as someone who just points out their flaws, but they want you to provide some solutions, whether you agree with that or not. The assumption is, you never talk to me, and the only time that you do is when you criticize me. And the way, to give you an example, the way that you can do that is if you have children in here and you're a father, and you tell your child, hey, son, come here. Their head drops and their shoulders slouch and they kind of walk like this. What happens? You know immediately that the only time that you ever talk to that child is when they've done something wrong. Right? Because they know, oh, shoot, here comes dad again. He wants to talk to me. What did I do wrong? Right? I want my, my boys and, and my daughter to know that, hey, when I, come see. Let me, let me talk. They don't have to be like, oh, shoot, here comes dad. He's about to beat the piss out of me. Right? Number two. One of the ways that we provoke our children to anger is by physical and verbal violence. Maybe you hit the kid, you shove the kid, push the kid. Hey, get over here. Grab him. Somebody pushes me shoves me, that provokes me to anger, right? You could do this verbally. You're stupid. What were you thinking? Son, oh my God. So on and so forth. And what we do when we do that, all of a sudden we start shaping a child's identity. We start shaping who they think they are and what they believe about themselves by your words and by your physical actions. And these children either grow up to rage against their parents, particularly their father, or the second one is they just leave. They just hit the road, not coming back. Another way that we provoke our children to anger is being emotionally absent. We're physically there, but emotionally we're not. Meaning that dad's always working on the car. Dad's always in the wood shop. 
Dad's always watching TV. Dad's always on the phone. And every time he is, I can't go see him. He doesn't want to involve me in what he's doing. He wants to be by himself, and it frustrates me when I come out there. Dad can never be interrupted. A lot of dads are physically there, but they're not emotionally present. Dad never gives a hug. Dad never kisses. Dad never raises his hands in worship. Why? Because that's not what men do, right? It's a bunch of bull. Just because you can physically do some things does not mean that you're a man. Last time I checked, Jesus did so much more than just carpentry. He was very emotionally involved. What did he do when Lazarus was at the tomb? He wept with Mary. He cried. Let let me give you an example with this. Imagine this. Say you have a daughter, okay? And she's a high touch. Like she just, her love language is a hug. Let me sit on dad's lap. And imagine because you're not that ooey-gooey kind of guy, you never give her that. Imagine when you have a 15, 16, 17-year-old boy come along. Your daughter's in trouble now, right? She hasn't got that emotional gratification from her father, that physical touch, that love, that affection, because that's her love language. And then you have a 15, 16-year-old boy who says, oh, I'll touch you. I'll be with you. What is she immediately going to do? That emptiness and that void, she needs to feel it. Because it's something that God has designed her to want and to experience. And a lot of that responsibility falls on us, fathers. Another way that we provoke our children to anger is by public humiliation and criticism. Maybe they're in front of their friends and they did something stupid. And I, I can give you countless examples of when we grew up. I mean, we broke windows, we ripped down doors, and we put holes in the wall when friends came over. I don't know why we thought it was cool one time to, uh, I can't even believe I'm saying this, but I am, but we thought it was cool one time to go in our backyard and all pull our pants down and do a number two right there and leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> We just did stupid things. Stupid things. And, and here's the thing. As a parent, what is your natural reaction in the situations like that in front of friends? It's not to, son, come here. <laughs> oh my God, I'm going to beat you in a minute. It's not one of those things. It's, what are you doing? And you tear the child down right there in front of everybody. What does that do? That publicly humiliates them. Maybe you're in Walmart and your kid, like, many, like mine, wants the Snickers bar. And you're like, you're not having another Snickers bar. Blah! And you go off right there. And you want to make sure that everybody knows it. Because, you know, you got to kind of feel as a parent, i got to be in control. What do we need to do? We need to, we need to pull that child aside. Come on, baby. All right, calm down. I'm going to beat you in a minute. Come, come here. <laughs> pull him aside. I mean, one of the things in our home that we don't, I, 
And it's happened before, but I try not to discipline my sons in front of my other sons, in front of my kids. Why? Why? One, because Eli would be like, Dad, spank him again. <laughs> and two, that's, that's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. And we're already dealing with sin that's embarrassing, right? And so I don't want to embarrass them even further. Here's one I'm, I'm sure you weren't expecting, but one way that we provoke our children to anger as a dad is we're just no fun. We're no fun. We don't know what to do when the ice cream man comes. We don't know what to do with a swimming pool. We don't know what to do with a bike. We don't know what to do with a basketball or football. We're just boring. We're no fun. You don't know how to do the silly dance. You don't know how to sing a song. If you have girls in here, you've never dressed up and had tea with them. You're just no fun. When you have little kids, you have to lose all shame. When I read the Bible to my kids, I mean, my voice does just stupid things. And half the time Isaac does, I'm like, this is God. And Isaac's like, true or false, we're going to be in heaven and we're going to enjoy God the Father. True. He's fun. He's a delight. God is a father and he's a father who enjoys his kids. He has fun with them. There's nothing worse than a boring dad. Kids should have memories primarily with their dad. I mean, we were doing this last night. We, one thing that I like to do to take, I'm always taking pictures on my phone. Always. A lot of my kids. Why? So we can go back and look at those pictures and say, hey, remember when we did this? Remember when we went there? And they're laughing about, you know, all kinds of things. Last night we were going, scrolling through on my iPhone, just all kinds of different pictures, watching it. Why? Because they love to relive those memories. They love to relive those fun times. Most of our time, Father, should be, most of our free time should be primarily enjoying our kids. Making memories and having fun. And some of you men think that your enjoyment is in your hobbies. It's not. The most joy that you can have is in your family. The most joy that you can have is in your family. Hobbies are not sinful, but the truth is, what's better than a man having hobbies is a man that gets to watch his children have joy. One of the reasons my wife gets so aggravated, one of the reasons that I tickle my kids to death is because I just love to hear them laugh. Right? It's because it's just joy. It's pure joy. I love those high-pitched laughs. As a dad, it's our job to be fun, to make things exciting. And let's just say that Christians are known for many things and being fun is not one of them. But by the grace of God, hopefully we can fix that. And what this means is, Dad, when your kids are young, you're silly. You do stupid things. 
Maybe you sit down at a table that is far too small for your man-sized body at a tea party with a cup that is no way possible going to quench your thirst. Maybe you, I'm just saying it, maybe you put on a tiara, okay? If anybody takes a picture of that, then we have some other issues. Maybe you just do things with your kids that you wouldn't normally do. As a dad, we're fun. The last way that I have that we provoke our children to anger is we lack repentance. We lack repentance. You ever notice that a lot of times as parents, we expect our children to be sorry and to repent of their sins, but we don't do it so often to them? Right? As parents, we're going to sin against our kids. We're going to catch them doing something and they didn't really do it and we're going to spank them for something that they didn't do. As parents, we're going to lose it, get frustrated, get angry and yell at them and sin against them. And speak and say something out of anger. You're going to blow it and what do you do? You repent in front of your kids You have to say, hey, listen, dad's a sinner. I need Jesus just as much as you do. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? How many of you in here would say that, man, if my dad ever did that to me, it would change a lot of things in my life? For some of you, some of you are just waiting for your dad to come back and just repent for maybe some things that he's done. But if you have kids today, imagine that same scenario. So look at, let's look at this real quick. What does it look like to bring them up in discipline? We've looked at what it looks like to provoke our children to anger. What does it look like to be a good father that brings them up in discipline and instruction? The first one I have is being a good model means being involved with our kids. What this means is, yes, your wife is involved, but everything in the home is what? Your primary, what? Responsibility. You can't just delegate your responsibility of raising your kids to your wife like you can delegate issues at work. It can't happen. As men, we're used to delegating things and uh, delegating tasks at work and, and giving responsibility away because we can't carry it all ourselves, but we do not have that luxury with our children. The second way that I have that we bring them up in discipline is we practice godliness. If your kids see you read the Bible, chances are they're going to what? Read the Bible. If your kids see you praying, chances are they're going to what? Pray. Do you know why a lot of young men don't persevere in the faith? The father is setting a bad example and the boys are growing up thinking, well, real men don't raise their hands in church. Real men don't sing to Jesus. Real men don't read the Bible. And I want to be just like my dad because that's what a real man looks like, right? Then their daughters grow up thinking, well, I guess it's okay to marry a guy who doesn't read the Bible, who doesn't pray, who doesn't get involved in church, because that's what my dad's like. The truth is, 
Your sons are going to be like you and your daughters are going to marry someone like you. That's the truth. The third way that we bring them up in discipline is we integrate instruction with everything that we do. So here's what that means practically. Let's say you're dropping your teenagers off at the mall. Okay, you're dropping, uh, Jennings, you drop them off at Walmart, okay? Um, Say you're dropping them off. Instead of just dropping them off and saying, hey, see you later, bye. See you in a few hours. Maybe you walk with them in to the store, and then you leave. But in walking in, maybe you notice a mannequin, and it's a female mannequin with a neckline down to the hemline. And you say, okay, honey, what do you think this mannequin is trying to say about your body? Now, what would happen if dad ever saw you wearing something like this, right? What are they trying to teach you? That we're trying to integrate instruction by just things that go on in life. Class is always in session and dad is always the teacher. Class is always in session and dad is always the teacher. How many of you have seen uh, any recent, if you have kids, I know you have any recent like television shows like Disney, Nickelodeon, the kind of kid shows just oh, drive you crazy. Anybody seen those lately? Have you ever noticed that the sermons that they're kind of preaching is what? The dad is stupid. The children in the pet gerbil always save the day, right? Dad is always an idiot. Parents don't know what they're doing. The child always has some kind of answer about what needs to happen. So what do you do? Maybe you're watching a show like that. And what do you do? Pause. All right, son. Let's talk about this. In real life, the gerbil is not going to save anybody. He's not a hero. Okay? Maybe you talk about a real structure of family and you press the show again. Play. And when you see another opportunity for you to teach, you pause. And eventually, your children are going to go accustomed to that. And they know, oh, dad's going to pause it and we're going to talk. I want to teach my kids the complete opposite of what TV and what culture is saying. Why? This verse right here. That it may go well with them and they live a long, fruitful life. Isn't that what you want for your kids? I want my kids to have a good life. And by the judgment of God, I want them to live a long life. So as a man, if I will take primary responsibility for my family, the odds are greatly improved that my children will live a long and better life. Just because of the fact that I say, I'm a father, the primary responsibility, the primary weight is on my shoulders My relationship between me and Jesus has to be first and foremost, and then I go out and I lead my family. Men, you need a vision and a plan for your family. Many of you have a vision and a plan for your hobbies and for your job, but you do not have a vision for your family. And I'll be brutally honest with you this morning. Men, for some of you, that means that today you need to know Jesus. That today you need to become a Christian. You need to turn from your sin. You need to trust in Jesus and you receive God as your father. And you change 
before you start to affect any change in your family legacy and history. Many of you in here are a link in a chain of a crazy history. And some of that link, it just needs to be broken and you need to rewrite that history for your family. And the only way that you can do that is by knowing Jesus. Everything that I've said this morning about fatherhood is impossible without Jesus. You cannot lead your family well if you do not know him. It's impossible. You know why? Because you're going to get tired. You're going to get burnt out. As a man, we have a lot of responsibility and a lot of weight that rests on us. And I know when we talk about these things, and at times it can be very overwhelming. When I read this stuff, and I talk about this stuff, and I hear this stuff, for me it's very overwhelming. But in those times when I feel so overwhelmed, like I feel like there's so much weight upon my shoulders, I have to know this, that God, you've entrusted me with this. And the only thing that I can do is trust that you're going to help me accomplish what you've put me here on this earth to do. And if you don't have that relationship between you and Jesus, you're going to crack. You're going to become a statistic of culture and fatherhood of what the world thinks you're supposed to be. I want you to leave here this morning, maybe convicted about some things, but I want you to leave here with a lot of weight on your shoulders. Knowing that there's a purpose, one, that God has put you with that woman, and he's giving you those kids. Because he wants you to carry the primary responsibility and set the temperature and atmosphere for your home. I'm going to end with this. Men, there's many women in here and many wives in here are saying, I pray to God that my husband is getting this right now. I pray to God that it's sinking in his heart. I pray to God that he'll step up and be a man. Because a man is somebody that leads his family and loves Jesus. Jesus. 